Welcome to the Strange on Purpose podcast. I'm your host, Izzy, and I'll be sharing the stories of industry leaders, creatives, and entrepreneurs paving a path for future generations to come. This podcast wouldn't be possible without our sponsor, Yellow Brick, which empowers dreamers to achieve their calling. With programs in film, performing arts, streetwear, music, sneakers, and so many more, it's truly taking their students and teaching them their passions, turning their passion into side hustle, and turning their side hustle into careers. So if you're interested, check them out at yellowbrick.co. Honesty Hour. I did not know what I was doing in regards to launching this podcast, and I wouldn't have been able to do it without Anchor. Anchor makes starting a podcast super, super easy and allows you to not only use their platform to distribute the podcast, but you can even go on your phone or computer and record and edit the podcast right on their platform. Best of all, it's totally, totally free. So if you're interested in starting a podcast, download the Anchor app or go to anchor.com. FM to get started today. Happy holidays, you guys. Obviously, your host is Izzy today. I am seating or sitting across from my laptop and sitting with uh, a really, really, really cool dude. And um, in doing some research and in talking with him and in um, getting recommendations to have him on the podcast, I am seriously blessed to have him on the podcast. I am joined by Leslie Green. Leslie, I appreciate you jumping on. Yeah, Izzy, it's, it's, it's good to be on with you, man. Uh, how's everything? Everything is good, man. You're the, the final episode of the season. Um, I feel like this season was uh, packed with just nuggets. And the cool part about it, there was in the, in the, guest, in the guest list, uh, we had people that were just getting started in the industry. We had people that have been in the industry and now... It, we're ending it with somebody that's been in the industry, that's left industries and has had really set his mark into other industries as well. So Leslie, do you want to give an intro to anybody who is listening to the podcast and has been living under uh, a rock and doesn't know who you are? <laughs> yeah, um, no, no problem, man. Yeah. So uh, Leslie Green, most people call me Les, uh, grew up in Southern California uh, went to, uh, did my undergrad years in Atlanta, spent a lot of time there. Um, coming out of grad school, started to get my feet wet in the marketing game. Uh, you know, moved, uh, to DC for some work, uh, that we'll probably get into, uh, eventually, uh, went back to grad school, which led me to kind of opportunities to work in the industry. Um, ended up at Nike, uh, you know, for 10 years, just recently left to kind of uh, embark on this new journey in sort of the creator commerce space. Um, and yeah, you know, I've, I've been blessed to, you know, work, uh, you know, in three different countries, uh, you know, across a couple of continents. And so, um, yeah, just it's had a really, really blessed career in marketing, uh, advertising, footwear. And uh, yeah, man, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, like really excited about the journey that's ahead, but also feeling really like, um, appreciative of like, you know, what I've had over the last man of 18, I guess almost 20 years. You, you, I mean, you've paved a path for uh, generations to come and that's why I kind of have you as the, the, the finale of this season. Um, but your journey is something that 
is incredible to me. So the first thing I want to really hit on in your journey is your time in Atlanta. Because mm-hmm. when, I, when I talk of Atlanta and when I hear of people talking of Atlanta, it's almost a transformational city. And um, if anybody that's listening, if you haven't been to Atlanta and if you are black or brown, I, I went to Atlanta in February with my girlfriend. Um, and we are a mixed couple. But we went down there and being from uh, Milwaukee, was living in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, uh, we landed in Atlanta and we immediately got culture shock. It was like, wow, <laughs> we have, we, I have people that look like me that are doing dope things all around me um and it's not it, there's other mixed couples and it was just it was crazy so do you want to speak on your time in atlanta and how that's really how it really kind of shaped you to kind of get started in your journey yeah man i, I think you, you hit the right word it was transformative so you know uh, you know i'm i'm 44 man so I've, I've been around for a while so i was a product of the 90s you know different world you know, hip hop embracing HBCU sweatshirts. Like I was, I was inspired to attend an HBCU. So that's, and just the whole Atlanta vibe. So I moved there when I was 18, uh, left LA. Uh, yeah, and, and being at, you know, Clark Atlanta University and being in the city at that time in the late nineties, middle to late nineties was just, that. that's when Atlanta's like golden era was kind of like forming, right? So you had Outkast being signed and like, you know, Jermaine Dupree developing his record deal and, some of like the staple restaurants and nightclubs just form forming in night uh, uh, formulating in, in Atlanta. So it was like a, a pivotal period, right? Um, and, and again, it was just young black kids and, and young adults just you know doing whatever they wanted and creating new things and like actually uh, you know creating culture. So it was really transformative. Um, I ended up transferring and going to Georgia State. Uh, for a couple of years, because I, I started to now kind of figure out what I want to do, and marketing was was where I wanted to go, and so I was really ambitious, you know, probably to a fault. And so, like my senior year, I actually just started to go to school at night with like old people, and I had worked during the day full time. I got a marketing job with Georgia Power, which is, mm. is probably like the, the most boring marketing job you can have, right? It's like <laughs> you don't need to market power; like you need it to live. <laughs> so, uh, but but anyway, so I, I kind of like started to work in one department. We're doing economic development, like trying to convince companies to move there, which ended up being cool. But either way, when I graduated, I was like, I am not going to do this, sit in a cubicle with these gap khakis on all day. So I like kind of rejected going and getting an immediate job, which is like kind of the best thing that happened to me. But it was a function of me working that senior year. So I was kind of floating around, deciding I wanted to do a good friend of mine, Carl Carter uh, and, and Kimbo Tom. They had an agency called GTM. Uh, at the time that like their sole client was the truth campaign, which was, you know, a tobacco awareness campaign. But uh, for anybody who knows the truth from back in the day, they took a very different approach than, you know, like the dare campaign in the eighties, which is just trying to scare kids not to take drugs. Right. So, Mm -hmm. you know, truth, they basically created a youth brand. And so they use things like music and sport and art and fashion um, and, and, and those elements to really appeal to kids and kind of tell them like, Hey, like, the tobacco industry is targeting you don't be a mark right like uh, they're putting you know all of these things in place to kind of get you addicted and so that's the approach we took it was rebellious it was brand building and so i loved that so uh, i worked on that doing like experiential marketing uh for a while uh and, and i just kind of fell in love with it right so um 
that uh, that world can be, be kind of tricky and, and like it's it's you know clients come and go. So while I loved working with Truth, uh, you know I, I took some other gigs kind of in and around those. Uh, man, I worked for Tropicana Orange Juice, Uncle Ben's, like literally going around the country doing sampling in front of grocery stores, and it was like um, at the same time it was probably like you know the ground floor of what marketing really is. Uh, it was it was it was you know. Um, it really informed how I thought about things because it was the one time or one of the one, you know, instances where you're literally, you know, in front of a consumer at the point of like decision making, right? It's like you're giving somebody a chance to taste something or see something or, you know, play with something and, and, and then making a decision. So, I, you know, even in now I'm in these high level, you know, strategic roles and, and making all of these uh, marketing decisions, I still think about um, those times that I was in front of a grocery store talking to a mom about, you know, not having to cook and, and, you know, using these Uncle Ben's bowls as a, as a way to fill, feed our kids. So it was, it's, uh, yeah, those were the times. The times like that are, like you, like, like you said, it's, it's something that you remember for the rest of your life and especially in marketing. And um, I think a lot of people that want to get into marketing wouldn't do what you did. They wouldn't go work for Uncle Ben's and, and get in front of people because we have a romanticized kind of thought process behind marketing. If I'm in marketing, I'm just going to be with influencers and surround myself with this and that's mm -hmm. what it's going to be like. And for some people, that is their role. But for most people, it's getting started at Uncle Ben's and doing kind of the grunt work and which shapes your career. And for the time that you spent at uncle Ben's, like you said, talking to the mom, uh, with the, with the kids and everything like that, like what's going through your head. Did um, you, did you take, kind of take that as, okay, this is definitely going to be a stepping stone or what were you kind of thinking this is a, a glass ceiling or something like that? No, you, you know what I was thinking, man, it was a couple of things. One, you know, I'm a, I'm a traveler and a nomad, just like that's in my DNA. So, this opportunity to go around the country uh, on somebody else's dime and talk to people and be able to understand different movements and cultures, like that was one of my big motivations. I wanted to spend three weeks in Chicago and see what that was all about. I wanted to go to New Orleans, you know, go to Denver and kind of like, it was a way for me to really understand the country at that time and like really understand these different movements. You know, I, I'm, I'm also a product of like the golden era of hip hop. So, you know, this is around the time that was like, street teams and that sort of like music marketing was really big. And so I really saw a parallel between what I was doing and that. Um, so uh, I saw it as just like really, really gaining skills, you know, contacts, networking and, and understanding the movements in different parts of the country. So that that's how I looked at it. So there was no no shame in my game, man. I, I'm a people person. So I'm, I'm always about like being on the ground level, talking to the people as much as I can. I love the um, the mindset like that, like I, the nomad and the traveler sense of like, I feel like a lot of people stay in the hometown or stay in the, the city that they are and they rep the city, which is great. But until you take your, yourself out of your comfort zone and really start to kind of encapture everything while traveling, you don't really know the world. So in your, in your time spent, uh, let's say your entire career, What's been what's been the biggest thing you've learned from travel and overall, like with work and everything like that? What's been the one the one thing you've learned? Uh, I would say the most important thing I've learned is 
just like really understanding the idea and the concept of perspective. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a stubborn Aries. And so, um, you know, when I was a kid, I wanted to be a judge. And the only reason I didn't do that is because you had to go to law school. Like, I just always thought my opinion was right. Like, I thought I was like, uh, you know, I had the, the best sensibility, more, you know, morals. And so, like, I, I always wanted my opinion to be to be felt and, 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 and heard. And so, you know, as a stubborn Aries, like, you know, you can sometimes get caught not really understanding from other people's perspectives. So it's something that I like was conscious of. So. Um, I constantly put myself in situations where I was meeting different types of people, different walks of life, different countries, different languages. And I just really respect those other points of view and opinion. So that's like the biggest thing is like, you know, putting yourself in someone else's shoes and really being actively, uh, uh, actively working on empathy and, and, and understanding those different perspectives is like one of the biggest takeaways. It's like one of the things when you know what your weakness is, you kind of overshoot it and over index. So it's something that I'm consciously conscious of. That's awesome. So take us, getting back into your journey, take us into the time between Nike and, or Uncle Ben's and Nike. What 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 yeah, went so, on there to kind of get you into that role? Yeah, so as I said, I'm in Atlanta. I'm doing these different marketing tours, really having a great time. I go back and start working for Truth, doing some more work. And this was like a transition for me because again, like this is the time where like, you know, young black entrepreneurs are starting to really get their foot in the door through the agency world, right? Because corporations realize that they don't have the wherewithal or the knowledge of the connections to really touch their demographics. So they go and hire these agencies. So there was like, there was a renaissance period of all these agencies popping up, especially, you know, the multicultural agency was really big at that point. So I'm like, okay, this is cool. Uh, but then I started to get a peek into the client side, the people were sitting in the boardrooms making those decisions. And, you know, those places are not diverse at all, even though on the agency side, it can look very diverse. So, uh, you know, I got I was blessed with the opportunity to go from truth on the agency side to work as a brand manager um, on the client side. Right. It was a nonprofit foundation, but, you know, operating the same way any other corporation would. So that was like a turning point because now I'm in the meetings with, you know, the, the, the head of our foundation, the CMO, all of the agencies, high level top agencies in the country at that time, like, you know, Crispin Porter and Arnold Worldwide. And like, I'm the only black person in the room. And so this is now a shift for me is like, okay, this is where the fight is. This is where I have to establish myself and really make um, my presence felt. So, you know, I started out uh, just leading all the experiential stuff for truth. Uh, the person who brought me in, uh, left the company. So then I became code of brand manager over all the above the line stuff and, and experiential. So now I'm doing, you know, uh, TV spots and radio at the time helped to start our digital presence. So now I'm like doing everything and it's like, okay, this is, this is where the work is. Now I'm on a, re a real brand manager and, and managing a brand from top to bottom. Um, and so I loved it. I, you know, I fell in love with the work, started to develop my skills and just realized I wanted to move on to bigger and better brands and I didn't really want to stay a nonprofit. So, you know, I had the idea to go back to grad school. I found a program in Richmond, Virginia called VCU Brand Center. They had a really dope program that was like a hybrid between an MBA and a creative advertising degree, which was like perfect for me. Mm. And I knew going and doing that, I was like, probably not going to end up at, you know, a typical CPG company or maybe uh, some other sort of more traditional organization. But I knew that organizations that appreciate creativity and collaboration like the Nikes, like the Adidas's, uh, you know, 
Beats by Dre, places like that are where I would end up working and I, I was willing to take that risk. Um, so I started a, uh, a relationship with a recruiter during my, uh, between my first and second year, which kind of just like even got me more excited about the opportunity working for Nike, which was like, again, number one on my list. Um, and actually, man, I became so obsessed with it. Um, I would email recruiters, email contacts every single day, man. I was like literally willing to like forego my second year of school just to go work at Nike. Um, <laughs> and it was just funny, man. Like the people were like, are you sure? Like, <laughs> I don't know if that makes sense. Uh, so, uh, I kept that relationship. Obviously I, I finished school and, uh, yeah, man, I, um, uh, it was, it was right around the time of like, uh, kind of the financial crash of 2009, 2008, 2009. So mm -hmm. in February, I'm about to graduate and I'm feeling good. I'm like, I got my Nike contact. I'm interviewing for a brand manager role. I'm not even looking for other jobs, man. I'm like, this is, I got this sewed up. <laughs> and so in February, I had an interview scheduled and I called um, and like the, the front desk pulls up and I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm interviewing for this role. And they're like, oh yeah, the two guys you're supposed to be interviewing with have been let go today. And like my whole world collapsed. <laughs> Oh um, gosh. So they're like, yeah, there's a reorg. We just, you know, let go 5% of our workforce. So um, I'm sitting here in a daze, like, uh, what the hell am I going to do? And uh, a few weeks later, they called me back and said, hey, we don't have a job for you, but we'll offer you an internship. Now, mind you, I'm like, I'm in my 30s at this point because I went back to kind of school mid career. And I'm like, uh, I didn't really go back to grad school to get an internship. But I kind of said, screw it. Let me, let me see what it's about. I want to go on campus and see what all the fuss is about. So I did a post-grad internship the summer of 09, uh, was on campus, kind of fell in love with the work, the people, the team, the culture. And I was like, man, this is where I want to be. Uh, at the end of the internship, um, I didn't really have a job offer. So I went back to New York, uh, you know, with my wife and my kids who were living in Brooklyn. And in October of that year, I got two offers on the same day, one from Wyden Kennedy to uh, work as a strap planner on Nike and one from Adidas to be a brand manager on Adi Originals. Um, mm -hmm. And it was great because it was like I went back to school for a brand management job. So the, the Adidas job was like that just made sense on paper. This is what I went to school for. It's what I've been fighting for. And it was on the table. Um, but the problem is I'd spent those three months at Nike and it kind of like, you know, I, I was really sipping the Kool-Aid, man. So I signed the Adidas <laughs> offer letter. Uh, I, I, I scanned it on, you know, went to a like a Kinko, scanned it in, emailed it. And man, I could not sleep, dude, tossed and turned all night. My wife was like, what the hell's wrong with you? Um, I called the next day and withdrew my, my acceptance. And, oh, and, I wow. took, and I took the widen job, man, because I just was like, that's what I want to be at Nike. That's what I want to work on. So um, moved to uh, Portland in January of, of 2010, took the strap planner job at Nike, which I loved. It's, it's one of the most fun jobs I ever had. You know, no red tape, no bureaucracy, like literally people there just get in the room and figure shit out which I love. Um, and I was literally driving to Nike's campus like three times a week presenting, you know, creative, presenting strategies. And everybody like remembered me. They're like, well, what, you work for why? And we thought you worked here. Um, and so <laughs> like after four or five months, man, Nike was like, no, you need to come work here. And so uh, luckily between Nike and Widen, they were able to like work that out. And I, I went to work for Nike. And my plan was to do that like two years after I started, I was like, I'll go from Widen to Nike, but it kind of only took four or five months. <laughs> <laughs> wow that is yeah. crazy yeah so yeah in the wow there's a ton of questions i have there so the first question the education seems to be huge for you um and with the the rise of people saying they don't need degrees or anything like that 
if you can go back, it seems yeah. like you, it seems like you can. Uh, and I think I know your answer, but if you could go back, would you do everything the same? I would do everything the same. Um, but, but to maybe pick at your question again, like I know there's huge debates about education and I think, you know, I'm just a, a believer in, I think specialized education is the future. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I don't think it has to be, you know, the specific accredited university that, you know, your dad and granddad went to, like, I'm not about that life, but I do think like the reason I chose that school is because it specifically was exactly what I wanted to do. Right. Like, I was I was working for, you know, a nonprofit at the time that would have paid for me to go to school at night. I got accepted to Georgetown. I got accepted into George Washington to do my MBA at night. And when I found this other program, it was like, I have to pay for this. I have to quit my job and go to school full time. But that's what I'm willing to do, because this is the program that I want to that I want to take. And I know that, you know, their focus on creativity, collaboration, innovation is going to be what sets me apart. And so. Um, I think that's kind of like my point of view is like, you know, the education and the specific program is important. Like it's one of the reasons I left Clark. I loved going to Clark Land University. Um, I'm a huge proponent of HBCUs, but at the time that school was huge in mass communication. They had a great like, um, uh, 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 social, not social justice, uh, sociology department, psychology, Mm -hmm. but their business program just wasn't there yet. Um, I think it is now. It's actually quite grown quite a lot. But back in like, you know, 96, it wasn't. So that's why I transferred. But it was about me finding a specific education that I wanted. And I think that's the deal. And I think, you know, in the future, that won't be necessarily tied to a school. It's, it may be, you know, an online situation or, or, or just other programs. That's where the even the places like we both um, are huge supporters of them. But like Yellow Brick, uh, yep. being able to just log on find something that you're passionate about, find a, a an entire course that you're passionate about, and then all of a sudden have a certificate on your own time whenever you want. And it's, it's something that's, um, it's huge. So from the education portion to the, the recruiter portion, it seemed like you were tenacious and um, I wouldn't, I'm going to use the word desperate, but that, that's not the word I'm, I couldn't, couldn't really think of the right word but mm-hmm. it seemed like you were you really wanted this job and you were all over these recruiters making sure that they like when they found a job they 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 thought of Leslie so what do you think you you went about that the right way and if so would you recommend people do that these days for roles at whether it's at Nike or Adidas Reebok or I mean name XYZ brand um what what would be your best advice to someone just trying to get into any industry today? So, uh, yeah, that, that's a really good question. So I started out doing it the wrong way. Eventually I learned how to do it the right way. So, uh, yeah, I mean, maybe the right word was obsessed. I don't know if I was desperate, but there I was it obsessed. It was, <laughs> yeah. I, I wanted it. Right. And so originally, like, again, I just like, again, it's kind of out of ignorance and just not knowing it was like, Hey, the recruiter is the person that you just need to be talking to all the time. And they'll help you get a job. And it, it doesn't work like that. So what I eventually, you know, started to really understand, it's about adding value. And so when I started to get introduced either by the recruiter or mentors or people I knew to other people that worked at Nike, it was about having a really, you know, reciprocal relationship with those guys and adding value. So, you know, if I knew that there was a, uh, a brand director who worked in basketball that I was connected to, instead of me just hitting them up and saying, hey, I would love to get coffee and pick your brain. 
it's like I'll go and do, you know, a top line sort of uh, assessment of like basketball culture in Chicago, L.A. and New York. Who are the biggest, you know, legendary street ball players? What are the biggest AAU teams like? Um, what sneakers, what basketball sneakers are resonating in these different cities. And I'll put that in the deck and just send it off. It's like, hey, man, I thought this could be valuable to you. Like, And so those are the things, man, is, is like creating value. And it got to one point where I started to develop a relationship with somebody who worked at Nike and just kind of like giving them some information where they were relying on it. And they would email and say, Where, where's that? Uh... Oh, wow. <laughs> so it's like, you know what I mean? So it's like, it, it's creating that value. And like, I would, you know, it was reciprocal because I would understand like, Okay, so he's going to put this into a deck. What does the deck look like when you're presenting a seasonal plan? Can I get a view of that so I know coming in? So to me, it's all about like, you know, building relationships organically and authentically um, that, that you kind of vibe with and, and being able to, you know, bring value and, and have like, again, like a reciprocal relationship. I think that's the best way to go about it. That's what's proved the most return and dividends for me. Damn. So you're you're on the, the campus at Nike doing your internship and a lot of people given that situation probably would have been extremely obviously bummed about it. So I'm guessing you're there kind of, yeah, obviously you're doing your internship, but are, are you doing, are you networking? Are you taking people out to the, the coffee shop on campus or anything like that? Like, are, are you focused on the future there during your internship? Or are you focused on the now and making sure that you kind of um, get every task done and kind of impress? Well, you know, it was, it was about a three month internship. So for the first month, I kind of just had my head down and was just trying to like outwork everyone and like, you know, uh, just kind of will my way into a job. And, um, but again, when your head is down, you can't kind of look up and see around. So uh, mm -hmm. luckily I had, uh, you know, a, a good sort of mentor sort of pull my coattails and say, hey man, you gotta like, I, I know you're killing it and you're putting in the right hours and and you're doing your thing, but like you gotta you gotta lift your head up so you can get some air and look around and like enjoy this. So um, after the first month, I kind of did that. It's a beautiful campus, obviously Oregon. It's like green trees, fresh air. The summers are perfect. And so after that, man, I was like you know balancing out the you know doing my work, but also like going to the gym at lunch and playing pickup basketball and going on a run. You know, connecting with other interns to do a hike on the weekends and. Yeah, having coffees with with people that um, I was been in meetings with. So I started to like ingratiate myself into like the campus, but also Portland as a city as well. Finding the barbershop that I'm gonna go to and all that stuff. So yeah, I kind of like um, was able to like uh, integrate myself into the culture there on a, on a bigger scale. I love that. I love that, and that's something that once you're in the role. It whatever role that you're trying to get, once you're there, you need to stay cognitive about what you're trying or just work life balance at the end of the day and make sure that yes, you are working your ass off to get to where you want, you want to be. But at the same time, you're taking care of the person behind this laptop or behind the computer or anything like that, because without that, you're not going to accomplish your goals. So I love that. So you're, you're at Nike, uh, you finally, you finally have that role. Um, and if anybody is, has a chance that is listening to this, look at the link, look at Leslie's LinkedIn profile. It's extensive at Nike. So talk about your time at Nike. Like, so you're, obviously you're really happy at this point. So talk about it. Yeah. So first job uh, was in a program called MDP. So Nike kind of like uh, took a page out of the CPG company's book, those kind of like typical development programs that 
MBAs kind of find themselves in. And so uh, you basically start out as a brand manager doing like six to four, four to six months stints in different categories or different geographies. So I did that for two years. Um, I worked on Nike Sportswear, uh, you know, Nike uh, football, Nike training. And then my last rotation of that program was on the London Olympics. So it was like a year long rotation, which again yeah. is like, I've always wanted to work on the Olympics, you know, even when I was in grad school. So it was like a little bit of a dream come true. Um, really started traveling internationally often, you know, back then I'd always been you know, a traveler, but this is like the first time where you're like on a regular basis, leaving the country for business, which was good. Um, and uh, yeah, man, the Olympics in London was amazing. So I had this two year run where it's like, man, you couldn't get better than that. And then I finally landed in my sort of more permanent job, which was a brand director for Nike Sportswear. This was back uh, 2012. And so, you know, at that time, I'm like, okay, I'm a sneaker dude, like going to sportswear, that's what it's all about. So I'm going to be right at home. I'm going to kill this. I can't wait to like start putting plans together for sneakers. And then when I actually got the job, I realized I was going to be focused only on apparel because they split the job. <laughs> so I was like, okay. Uh, and this is again, like, I know Nike apparel is the shit now, but like back then in 2012, it was like the only people that were wearing like Nike apparel head to toe was like Eminem. Like it was not yeah. like what it is today. Um, and so my first big project was Nike tech pack, uh, which was driven really by our VP at the time. And one of the heads on the apparel side and just really transforming Nike apparel to be premium, uh, you know, real high quality innovation, high price point and kind of really change the game. So. You know, we took a completely different marketing approach than we had in the past to apparel, leveraged our athletes in a really strong way um, and kind of, you know, honestly kind of changed the landscape of athleisure, right? Like I say, I, I got to take some of the credit for all of these dudes that are able to wear their, you know, tapered cuff sweatpants to work now because they don't look sloppy. So, um, you know, that 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 was a, a big shift for, for Nike sportswear. And so um, I did that role for about three years. Uh, loved it, got to work across every different category because sports were kind of, you know, connects to every single part of the company. Um, and I started to get a little bit bored and realized I wanted to do something different. I really had my sights set on international role and getting some time out of the country. So in my mind, I was like, I'll, I'll probably go to Amsterdam and, and work on EHQ, the European headquarters for a role there. And uh, man, one day I came into the office and uh, my boss at the time was like, well, no, uh, 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 one of the leaders that I knew at the time told my boss that he wanted to talk to me and he, they offered me a job to run the marketing department in South Africa for, for Nike Africa. And hmm. I had never set foot on the continent. I've always been really intrigued um, just based on like, you know, uh, research that I'd done and just obviously the connection that sort of, you know, all people of color in, in the States have to the continent. And uh, man, like without even thinking about it twice, I was like, yeah, I'll do it. Like I'm ready. And, um, and I had to go home and, you know, convince my wife that it was the right thing to do. Uh, and, and we made our way to Johannesburg, man, a few months later. And um, I would say if, uh, you know, that that was probably the most transformative time of, of my life. Like Atlanta, like, you know, that's kind of where I grew up and like, you know, transforms me as a person. But like, man, that that time in Johannesburg, like it was probably the the, the biggest, if not, you know, maybe the most transformative period of, of, of time for me. Um, going into a new job, a new role, the biggest team I've ever managed. I think I had 35 or 40 people that I was managing. Um, and, you know, you're still, you, I know Nike, I'd been at Nike for four or five years at that point. I know the brand, I know the consumer, 
But when you go to a different country, it's different. They think about Nike in a different way. Um, you know, in, in, in South Africa, it was interesting because Nike was really only looked at as, for the most part, a, a lifestyle brand because mm-hmm. they didn't have the benefit of like the 80s and the Olympics and the running because, you know, pre-apartheid, Nike didn't sell in South Africa. So they only started selling post-apartheid, which it was like, we're already a sportswear brand at that point, really, you know, slanging Air Maxes and Air Force Ones and stuff. So um, it was it was an interesting dynamic. But uh, yeah, man, just like really getting, uh, it was the first time that I really consciously like uh, ingrained myself into a culture, like completely like from top to bottom, like, wanted to really understand everything there was about the country and the people and where they come from and the history. And um, you really start to realize, and then I started to expand my mind outside of South Africa and just realize how much potential and creativity and resources exist on the continent that people just don't know about and that are mm-hmm. getting mined by countries all around the world. It's like, it's, it's, it's the key to everything, man. Africa is the future for sure. And uh, just in the short two years I was there, you could you could easily see it. Damn. So you you mentioned in the beginning of the podcast, you mentioned that you're a travel junkie, you're a nomad. So you go to South Africa, you have this amazing time, and you see an opening in Mexico, and you say, you know what, screw it. Or what, what happened there? <laughs> no, man, no, man. They had to, they had to pry me away. Like I, I, I was not ready to leave Africa again. Like I immediately felt home. I built a network and like a family there basically. Um, and, and then my family loved it. And so I really didn't want to leave. But again, as I told you, I think, you know, uh, I'm super ambitious. And so um, at that time, Nike was reorganizing to be focused on key cities. And so Mexico City was one of the 12 key cities around the world. Uh, so it was just going to be a big focus moving forward. It was a bigger job, a uh, bigger paycheck. And so my GM, who was my GM in South Africa, had moved to that role. So he kind of wanted me to to bring me along. And um, at that time, you know, the family had been away from, from the United States for two years. And so Mexico City is obviously a little bit closer to home. So it made sense for them, even though they, they really enjoyed Africa. But, you know, being away from family is tough. Mm-hmm. So uh, it just made sense. Like, again, I was... I, I won't say that it was an easy decision. I was like, I really wanted to stay in Africa, but I, it, it felt like the right choice at the time and the right move. So uh, that's why I took the role. And it ended up being really great professionally, right? It was a bigger job, a bigger team, uh, more focus from a key city standpoint for Nike. So um, I got to do a little bit more bigger budgets, uh, you know, bigger initiatives. So career-wise, it was, it was a great decision. Did you know Spanish at the time or did you have to learn? I- so I knew a little bit, you know, um, I took Spanish many years in elementary school and in high school and even junior high. So like my vocabulary was actually really solid, like understanding individual words, um, the conjugation and the tenses was always a problem for me. But my first six weeks, I took like an intensive Spanish, uh, had an amazing tutor. So I would spend like four hours in the office doing work and then four hours doing Spanish lessons for like six weeks. Damn. So I got to a decent point, like. I could catch an Uber and not have to speak any English and have a conversation. I could order food without having to speak English. I could like, you know, uh, pretty much go throughout the day. If somebody wanted to have like an in-depth conversation, it could be a little tough. And it was mainly the speed, right? Because in Mexico, like, because it's their natural language, like the speed is something that's hard for me. But like, um, I did probably, I would say, 
in meetings in the office, I probably spoke Spanish 30% of the time. Damn. Yeah. Good for you. That's, a, yeah. that's dope. Even, I, even I, I feel like guilty that I've lost it all since I've been back. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, learning as much as you did in, in six weeks is uh, huge too. So, um, all right. So you get through with Mexico. How did you make the jump back to Portland? And then talk us through the, the new role. Yeah, so uh, I was in Mexico for about 18 months. And, you know, I, my, I had a teenage daughter at the time, and she kind of was just really ready to come home. You know, she was about to start high school. And she really wanted to do four years in one place. And I knew I wasn't going to stay in Mexico for five years. So kind of had to, you know, split the gap, right? So we left a little bit earlier than I would have planned so we could come back and be in Portland for her to start her freshman year. So um, that happened in October of 2000, sorry, August of 2018. And so in figuring out what role I was gonna come back to, uh, it was kind of up in the air because it was kind of like a sudden change that I'd asked for. And so they weren't really ready for it. So um, a friend of mine uh, who was in the role that I took was leaving to go to Amsterdam. And it just made sense that, that, that I kind of take on that role. So we, you know, we talked to leadership and um, that, that's the role that I ended up taking. And so that was when I went to go lead Nike ID um, or as it was, you know, formerly known as Nike ID, now known as Nike by you. So I was excited about it, you know, it's because I didn't want to just go back to a regular brand category role. I had done that before. This was, uh, you know, Nike direct to consumer. It was completely digital focused. Um, I finally got to work on sneakers, you know, as opposed to the apparel <laughs> stuff that I was working on before. So, uh, it was, it was, it was a perfect fit, man. It was, a you know, really entrepreneurial because it's a, even though it's a service for Nike kind of operates as a business unit and mm -hmm. they were in flux, right? It was tra transitioning from Nike ID to something new. And so being a part of that transition to help establish Nike by you as the kind of the new branded service proposition and really elevate the game through a bunch of dope collaborations and really, you know, getting into the experience. And that's what I loved about it is I wasn't just doing marketing. It was a mat looking at Nike by you as an experience. How do we improve it? The product, the service, and how we talk about it all at the same time, because, you know, that's the, we can't market our way out of problems, right? Marketing is, a, is, is an element that complements a good product and a good service and so being a part of developing that was was really dope and i loved uh it, it was good like to look at it from an enterprise standpoint not just a marketer yeah that's dope that's that's super dope so teespring what is it what do you do yeah so so yeah uh in september uh i left nike after 10 years a really good run to uh to lead the marketing team as vice president for for teespring and the way it came about man while i was at nike uh in the Nike by you role, we started to dip our toe in what I guess I'll call creator commerce. So we would, uh, we started, you know, uh, piloted a program, we would go to different cities, and find I guess what I would call like micro influencers, um, who had like a community and a following and love sneakers. And so we would give them the Nike by you platform, they would develop, you know, a dope sneaker. Um, they would, uh, we would give them like a storefront that was connected to Nike.com. And they would literally have a drop where they sell that sneaker, or promote that sneaker to their micro communities, to their people um, yeah. and sell it for two weeks. And they would sell like, you know, anywhere between 300 and 500 units. And so you can imagine for just, you know, a sneaker lover who has a little bit of a following in a city to be able to do their own shoe like that is a dream come true. I mean, like the, 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 the engagement and the, and the emotion and the response that we had from people that were able to be a part of this program was amazing. Like it was probably you know, 
the most engaged and appreciative that I've ever seen consumers in my time at Nike. Um, and so I just fell in love with that, man. I just, you know, I saw that as the future of where this thing is going. Like, you know, big brands are never going to go away, but I think the idea of, you know, people on the ground and, you know, people that are making their way through, whether that be social media or other ways, kind of being the future of how consumers start to see and make decisions on what they buy. I, I, I just see that as the future of where things are going. Like commerce is going to be social mm -hmm. and it's going to be more, you know, creator driven, as, as I would say. So I really, you know, I, that little taste I got during the pilot, I was like, I really want to work in this space full time. And, and that coupled with, you know, me kind of hitting the 10 year market Nike, it just felt like something that I should explore. So I started to look at companies that were in that world. And obviously Teespring was one of them. So I started to reach out, have conversations. And, you know, it was just serendipitous that they were looking for somebody to build their marketing team at the time. And, and of all the, the companies in that world, I felt like they had the, the, the most potential. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so I, you know, we had the conversations, they progressed really quickly and ended up, you know, accepting a role to, to be their VP of marketing. Damn, that's super dope. And it is the future. I think, especially with the rise of the, the TikTok creator and every, and every, uh, every other platform, I think it's truly the future. So what, what, um, what would be your number one piece of advice to creators right now? or creatives? Uh, number one piece of advice is, um, is, uh, I would say consistency mm -hmm. and ownership. To me, uh, a successful creator or people that, that, that I love and follow as creators, it's about consistency. Like, you know, it's, it's not about doing everything perfect, but it's about consistent output um whatever that consistency is right because that's going to be different for a blogger to a fashion designer to a writer um but whatever that cadence is and that consistency i think that's super important because that's what um not only sharpens your skills but also i think uh builds you know, you know your community right is that you know that that dependence on you know what your output is so consistency for sure and then ownership man like this is a uh, a time where it's going to, it's going to be even more important for people to hold on to their intellectual property and to their, uh, to their creative. And so I think that that ownership piece and protecting your creativity is super important. I think those are the two biggest pieces of advice I would give to anybody that's in that world. Okay. Another question. What, uh, what would be the another number one? What would be your number one piece of advice to someone kind of trying to get a job at Nike? Um, I would say the number one advice is, um, you know, become a subject matter expert. Mm. That that that's what Nike's looking for. The way our marketing organization is set up, um, you know, a lot of people have you know functional roles that. Um, you need an, you know, being an expert in that makes you, uh, like far and away a good candidate for those roles. So, you know, whether that's, you know, loving sneakers or digital marketing or digital media or influencer marketing, um, you know, uh, you know, performance marketing, whatever it is like yeah. being, being able to, you know, talk about and understand those worlds top to bottom as a subject matter expert is is like i think the number one uh 
advice that I would give to to somebody because you know there's so many people that love Nike and love sneakers, right? Like that that doesn't pare down the the the, the field at all, right? Um, then you have people that are super persistent and, and really, you know, getting after it. And that, that's another layer. But again, there's still a lot of people that that that, that uh, would qualify. So I think, you know, when you add that that subject matter expertise to it um, is another part. And then also like um, showing by doing, I would say, like mm. at the, the later half of my career, I always started to gravitate towards candidates that Show, you know, showed and proved what they were doing, right? So if you're interested in, if you consider yourself interested in writing, then what have you published? You know what I mean? If you're a creative yeah. or you're an artist, like, you know, what have you made? Uh, so I think if you're a, you know, a brand manager, you know, what business have you started entrepreneurially? So it's like, you know, Nike appreciates, um, uh, and I do, uh, you know, people that have done things and like actually put their desires and their skills and their strategies and their practice. How was your time in the industry as a black male? Um, you know, I, I think it's, it's very similar to probably what you would hear a lot of other people say it was, it was challenging. I mm -hmm. think, um, you know, again, for me, it was always fuel when I would go into these spaces and rooms and meetings and see either very little or zero people that look like me. And so it, it always um, made me want to, A, you know, represent myself in, in the way that I thought was uh, appropriate, uh, being prepared, being knowledgeable, um, being, you know, culturally connected. Like, those are all the ways I always wanted to show up, uh, but also be always looking to, you know, bring people in and, and look at yeah. other you know, people that look like me and, and find opportunities to kind of bring them into the ecosystem was something I was always just conscious of. And, you know, moving to Portland, which, you know, is, is obviously like, you know, one of the whitest cities in the U.S. Um, mm -hmm. It's very liberal at the same time, but but it is very white, I think, um, can be a little bit jarring uh, or it's actually a lot jarring for, for, you know, a black man who's lived in Atlanta and Brooklyn mm -hmm. and L.A. and all these places. Um, but back then, you know, 2010, when I moved, you know, these buckets of like Wyden Kennedy and, and or I should say these bubbles of like Nike and Wyden Kennedy Adidas, you, you, you kind of feel a little bit better about how um, how Portland is not that diverse because it feels more diverse in these bubbles, right? Because yeah. again, at the end of the day, you're going to work, you're going home, you're hanging out. And so it doesn't feel as as uh, not, not diverse as it, it probably is. Um, and so that helped a lot. Um, but then also finding community within Portland, um, was, was, a, was a big deal. And like, you know, connecting not only to the people that are, you know, in your, in your workspaces, but also in the city, because there is a black population in Portland that is significant. Um, not numbers wise, but I think, um, you know, what they mean to the city, uh, especially like the inner city of Portland, not the suburbs and, um, mm -hmm. you know, their place in the story of Portland from the nineties to two thousands to now is important. So. Yeah, that was uh, that. That's kind of that was that was the journey. I love that. I love that. And your journey is incredible. Um, you've paved the path for obviously many to follow. So I'm gonna ask you one final question, and it's, what impact do you want to leave on the world? Hmm, that's a good one. Um, you know, well. I think from, from a little kid, the reason that I was always interested in marketing and advertising and, and communications is just because, you know, and, and as a 
you know, kid in the eighties, like just consuming media in the way that we were, it just felt like there were only a few handful of people that were in control of the way that everything um, came to life for people, right? Like TV commercials and TV shows and radio. Um, it just felt like there was just a, a small group of people that could control the way that everybody sees everything. And so I was always very conscious of that. And so when I started to you know, become older and think about where I wanted to work or what I wanted to do, I wanted to be in a position where I could help influence the way that people see things, right? And you know, generally the way people see things is through media. So whether that's the TV shows that you're watching, the commercials you happen to see, the billboards you see outside, it, it kind of changes your perception. And it, you saw that happen really big in sports, right? The, the bigger the athlete was, um, it helped change people's perception of, of kinds of people. And so um, that's kind of what drove me. And so I think that's kind of a long-winded way to say like, eventually, like when I'm done working or, you know, when, some, when I look back at my time and my career, I definitely want to have had uh, a hand in changing the way that, that people see the world and the way that people see, you know, black and brown people. Uh, and I think, you know, obviously there's a lot of things that influence that like politically and, you know, socioeconomically and a lot of those things. But I think media, uh, as again, it's not at the top of that list, but I think it's a big, important way that people are affected and, and, and influenced. And so um, I think if I had a hand in, in being able to change that perception and bring people along into that industry who can change that perception even further when I'm gone is uh, is probably the thing that I would love to, you know, be the, the biggest thing that people remember. I love that. And I, I think you're well on your way. I, I, I think there's just in your journey and hearing that story and, and hearing that ultimately you're not you're not finished and you're you're opening doors to uh for four generations to walk through for hopefully years to come so i leslie i appreciate you jumping on the the strange on purpose podcast um yeah thank you thank you izzy man i really appreciate it great conversation and uh yeah man love to keep in touch i'm, I'm a fan now so i gotta i gotta <laughs> i gotta i gotta keep listening to the to the next guests Appreciate you, man. We'll talk soon. All right. All right. Take care. Yo, thanks for listening to today's episode. Again, I want to thank you for listening to the Strange on Purpose podcast. And if you haven't already, please review the podcast. It helps me a ton. Subscribe or follow us on Instagram at Strange on Purpose.